Welcome back, HVAC On Air listeners. We are here for another episode of Tech Experts, and John and James have returned. They've been spending all their time answering calls for you guys doing their jobs, which we're glad that they're here. They're the experts. So now that it's winding down and it's for the end of the season, busy season, they're back with us. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Lindsay. Good to be back. And it's been a very, very busy summer. A lot of guys out there working in the trenches through this whole pandemic. So we're glad that we were able to reach some of them and help them out with the systems and issues they were dealing with. And this summer, our phone number for tech support has actually changed. Oh. The old number is still active. Okay. So you can still be reached. Yes, by the old number, but they will be prompted in the future to go to the, the new phone number, which is 833 four zero nine seven five zero five and i would suggest that they listen to the entirety of the message because some of the options have changed and they still do have the option to reach us through our email which is services at emerson.com and that is available 24 hours a day Awesome. So for listeners, you've heard it here. The number's changing. We will put a link on our page so that you are aware of this as well, because we want to make sure that you can talk to these guys whenever you need to. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about uh, preventive maintenance. Ah, yes. So excellent topic for end of the season. It comes up quite a bit. And uh, one question is asked uh, a lot not just on the service line, but to anybody associated with compressors is how long a compressor should last. And that's kind of an open question, ended question. On the service line, we work with compressors that have been installed in the 70s, uh, 1970s, for people don't remember that, and then older. Yeah. And some of them don't last an hour. And it depends, you know, I like to think it all goes into how the that's amazing. Yeah. That's some variability in like how long a compressor well, it goes can back to the to the install. And as far as like, you know, how the compressor, first of all, if it's chosen correctly, if it's the right voltage and the right application, the, and the starting components are chosen correctly, um, then, you know, something could, if it, or incorrectly, it could fail immediately. Like I said, something that's installed correctly by a, a good tech could last indefinitely. And that's the idea. You know, we still deal with compressors that are, or been running for 30 to 40 years or more, which is amazing and a testament to uh, the machine and the job the person did is when they put it in. So yeah, it's, it's kind of an open-ended question and we have put together some things to, to look for and to check. On the Emerson side or Copeland side, you know, there's not a lot that specifically for preventive maintenance out there that I could find. We do have some stuff we use in service engineering. Most of what I have today is from one of our older application bulletins, it's AE105. It was probably written back in the day. It's been updated quite a few times, but uh, in the end part of that bulletin, AE105, which is available on our OPI site. and uh, Absolutely. Copeland Mobile as well. Um, it is available. And then towards the end of that, it gets into preventive maintenance. And uh, we have some additional things we can get at. So, awesome. I guess when we talk about preventive maintenance, we talk about what we can look at on a regular basis to check to see if the system's working. A lot of these things you can do without having any equipment at all. And just by some observations you can make, you could do some quick checks on a system that will probably tell you quite a bit. One thing I like to do and recommend 
text to is ask the personnel that's working around the equipment, whether it be a, a homeowner or a restaurant or a stationary, stationary engineer of some kind who works around this equipment every day, what have they noticed? Uh, are there any things that the system's doing differently than it used to do? Is there any sounds that you hear? Are there periods of the day where the equipment doesn't work like it normally does or works better at a certain time of day? Just asking people that work around it might be able to give you some clues into what you could look for when you're doing any kind of troubleshooting. So just really starting off with a question of like, what are you currently seeing now? Yeah, this would be somebody who doesn't have to have any air conditioning refrigeration experience at all, but they say, you know, I noticed that, you know, really, it's really hot in here, it doesn't work right. Or I hear certain times of the day, I hear a clicking sound, or I noticed that the oil safety switch is tripped, you know, every once in a while, and I go have to reset it. So a lot of this information you're not going to know because you're not there and you're going to have to collect that somehow. And, and the people that work around it are a good source of that. And so. that kind of information can lead you to finding the right answer ahead of time or tell you where you need to investigate a little bit further. It could definitely, definitely help. That's for sure. So a lot of times, you know, you're going out on a call and it's just like, oh, it's not cooling. Any little information you could gather from the people that work with the equipment would be handy. As I mentioned before, you know, without getting your equipment out of your truck, you can do some other checks, such as operating pressures and temperatures. Some larger systems could have permanent gauges available, so you could actually look at your pressures without installing your gauge set on it. I personally don't recommend putting gauges on every system right away when we're troubleshooting, just because smaller ones especially are what we call critically charged. Now, what so does that mean? That means that the refrigerant that's in that system is a specific amount. And by putting your gauge set on, you know, you're going to actually lose some refrigerant just putting a gauge on it. Really? Like, yeah. And so, yeah, especially smaller systems. Yeah, like cap tube systems would be very subject to the loss of the ounces of refrigerant it takes to fill the lines on the manifold gauges. So that wouldn't be the first thing I did. I would actually make some... Some visual checks, like I mentioned, if I had the advantage of using a, a permanent gauge on that system to see where the, the system's running at, that would be very handy. Just some visual checks of the condenser, the compressor, let, you know, looking for, you know, excessive dust buildup on, on either one of those, you know, putting your hand on the, the compressor head. Is it abnormally cool? That could indicate a broken component in the compressor or excessively hot, you know, maybe I'm running, it can tell me that, hey, the system's running hot for some reason. Those are all good things. It's a, if the compressor has a sight glass, you could always visually check the sight glass level. That's non-invasive. You can just take a look at that and it should be somewhere in the sight glass. It's a pretty general recommendation that Copeland has in black and white somewhere. It reads slightly above halfway. We say if you have an oil level in your sight glass, you're within our range of, of oil. Okay. So, oh, sight glass is just in the system as well, like a liquid line sight glass. If you have bubbles or in the sight glass, or it's not a clear column of liquid in there, it can tell you you might have a restriction in the system. You might be low on refrigerant, stuff like that. And finally, the last thing I had written down on visual checks is like just oil spots. Do you see little puddles of oil anywhere? Um, it would indicate a leak mm. in the system around the compressor, flare nuts, anything that's uh, mechanically tightened instead of soldered or anything like that. You could see a drip of oil here and there would indicate, you know, maybe I have some leaks here and that's why I'm running hot or that's why my oil safety is going off. That's kind of what I had without using any equipment at all. Yeah, and some of the preventative maintenance that could be 
added to that, you had mentioned checking coils. So the compressors in refrigeration and air conditioning systems are subject to the heat exchangers that they push refrigerant through. If those become blocked or full of dirt or the filters haven't been changed, it has a direct effect on the pressures the compressor is working with, which could make it run outside yeah. what it's designed to do. And when those heat exchangers are maintained, filters are replaced, condenser coils are cleaned, the compressor stays operating within what it was designed to right. do yeah. and extends the life of the compressor. It affects the overall performance of the system. Now, James and I were talking about this podcast coming up, and when you think about a system, even if it's installed perfectly, exact refrigerant charges put in it, everything, all the controls are set correctly. The one thing that will affect that system over time will be the accumulation of dirt and dust on those heat exchangers, like the condenser and the evaporator, as Jane mentioned. So that's something that even the best installed and the best maintained systems are going to be affected by, is that airflow. So that that is probably the number one cause, I would think, of system changes, you know, over time would be Dirty condenser coils, evaporator coils, airflow that affects these units. Yes, compressor failures can be directly related to plugged indoor air handlers, which cause low suction pressure at the compressor, causes liquid flood back, icing, dilution of oil, and then you get the exact opposite when the condenser coil is plugged. This thing's running at a very, very high head pressure. A lot of heat's generated. You lose the lubrication and the top end or the running gear of the compressor. It takes years off the compressor life. Those simple things that can be visually inspected and taken care of sometimes by the homeowner or preventative maintenance done by a, a reputable contractor. You know? So how often do you guys recommend that somebody perform this kind of preventative maintenance? Well, that's a great question. And that is another open-ended question. However, uh, look at in that bulletin, AE-105, as I mentioned before, Copeland recommends more frequent inspections, possibly up to you know two, three times a year. It's something that you know you could offer as a as a contractor uh, to your customer as part of your service plan would be mm-hmm. you know going out here twice a year and, and checking what you deem to be uh, you know a reasonable service call. Before we get into some other things that we were going to recommend as things that that technician could check is things that we don't recommend as preventive maintenance. Oh, you know I've had guys do we do we take the refrigerant out and put new refrigerant in? No. <laughs> do we mm-hmm. take the oil out? put the new oil in every certain amount of time. Absolutely not. Getting into that system, it should be really the last thing you want to do. You know, that's going to be advanced troubleshooting. Once you put those gauges on and, and you're starting removing refrigerant, adding refrigerant, removing oil. I mean, do I rotate the grommets, the mounting grommets every year? Looks like you would your car. Absolutely not. You know, you're going to start small with the small things and work into more advanced troubleshooting as you go so now that's interesting so why is that why would you not do that that's what i was kind of thinking in my head like oh is it similar to like a car or not like a car you really don't want to open the system if you don't have to okay it's a sealed system and refrigerant doesn't go bad and if it's installed properly and maintained properly there would be no reason to change the oil and i guess i'm leaning more towards residential on that one yes uh, I know that there are companies that do preventative maintenance on rack systems where that is something that has to be done. So I guess that comment would be more towards right. residential sealed systems. Okay. Definitely sealed systems. But like to James' point is that there is no expiration date on refrigerant inside the system. You know, of course, unless it gets contaminated and the oil gets contaminated, 
that these are all things that, you know, are caused by other issues. But as preventive maintenance goes, I would drive home that uh, opening the system for no reason other than a preventive maintenance could possibly add to system issues if it's not done correctly. Okay. You do have to put gauges on a system, you know, know what you're looking for. What exactly is this going to tell you? If you don't have any idea where this system normally runs, then that information that you gather by putting your gauges on a system is really probably not going to mean a ton to you. So that's where, you know, getting some kind of checklist or, and we, we have some stuff we're going to provide to you uh, at the end of the podcast documents you can use. So this would, is, are you leading into the, uh, excuse me, what we would call the baseline? Yeah, this is baseline information. When this system was installed and the compressor was started, this is the kind of current we were pulling, suction discharge pressure, so yeah. on and so forth. And then that's something that could be referred to if there was a new cooling hole in the future. And you'd like to think, you know, your better technicians are doing that when they, when they put a system in new. You know, what we used to tell people in the cost program of Pressor Operations Service Seminar, which I'm sure a lot of the techs have taken over the years. We used to talk about retrofitting at one point in the program, and that's when we offered this retrofitting checklist, where before you retrofit this system into a new refrigerant, if you were changing refrigerant and oil in the system, what we were suggesting is you take some baseline data before the retrofit. So once you have the new refrigerant in the system, you can go back and look at that old data and make sure you're running comparably to what the old system, the system did before you retrofit. That could be very useful on an, any new system when you're using it to troubleshoot. Now, like I said, that's something that a lot of guys don't have the benefit from because they're usually working on a system that someone else installed. Mm -hmm. you know, this is my first time out here. A lot of people have been out here before. I mean, that's where you lose that benefit. But any little thing you could do there as far as baseline data is going to help you troubleshoot. But that's something I thought, like, if you're... Maybe you own your own company, you have some younger guys working for you or younger techs working with you, you know, have them gather that data, have them go out to the system and check system charge, superheat, subcooling, oil levels. So you're familiarizing your new people and your new technicians with these good practices and where this information is located. We're trying to pull information from people over the phone. We're asking specific questions. What is your oil pressure? What is your superheat? If you can't give us that information or you can't see that for yourself, whether we're helping you or not, you don't have the tools that you need to troubleshoot. This preventive maintenance schedule or these things to check would be an excellent job for a newer person that to they familiarize themselves with the systems. Yeah, and if that's how they start off into the industry with that kind of mentality yeah. where they're going to do a system monitoring at startup or installation when they commission the unit, it's something they will probably continue to do and pass on to the technicians that come behind them. Absolutely. And guys who are working on this stuff, you guys who know, know who's out there working with you, being able to, you know, provide information like that, like superheat, subcooling, oil pressure, that's going to set you apart from, I, I would say, 60% or more of the technicians that are working in Wow. So that's a personal opinion, but that's stuff we don't normally get when we're trying to help somebody uh, troubleshoot. The better technicians obviously can do this. So Well, and it sounds like not only is it good best practices, but I feel like that probably gets, especially the younger guys, exposure to working with a homeowner, yeah. creating those responsible timelines for preventative maintenance, similar to like 
the things that we try and tell homeowners to do with their air filters and such, this kind of fits into that and gets them exposure to their contractor, making sure that the contractor has exposure to them. I think that helps on a lot of different levels. Absolutely. Absolutely. So all that being said, here, here's a, a list of a couple things, three things that, that are easy enough to check, as we mentioned, operating pressures and temperatures. What you're seeing in that system makes sense for the application. Are we seeing cooler and freezer temperatures where they should be in the box? I see cool air coming out of the register in the air conditioning applications. When I do have to put gauges on, am I able to compare that back to what I was reading when I installed it? Do the temperatures and pressures make sense for the you know, refrigeration all the way through air conditioning application I'm working on? I mentioned before oil level. Do I have a, the uh, luxury of a site class on the compressor? If I do, is the oil level in the site class? Is the oil clear or yellow or amber, which we would all consider to be acceptable? If the oil, you know, the oil is black, if you see actually particulate in the oil, now we're going to have to talk about, you know, draining the oil and you know, removing the refrigerant, doing some actual work here. There's also a whole other set of procedures. If I do, maybe the compressor did fail. I had a motor burn or my oil is, you know, turned black for that reason. Um, we have a, an application engineering bulletin, AE24-1105. And that's what we call principles of cleaning refrigeration systems. And it basically goes through a step-by-step -step process of how to clean up a system after a burnout. And it's basically a series of filter dryer changes, well, possible oil changes, uh, use of a liquid line uh, moisture indicator to make sure that acid and moisture get removed from the oil. That's everything oil related. You know, when I do have that system open, that's the opportunity to do the things I wanted in that system, but I didn't want to open it. Do I need a pressure tap somewhere on the compressor or in a refrigerant line? Or uh, do I need to install that site glass that I didn't have in the liquid line, you know, or a filter dryer that might have not have been there? So A241105, and that's something we'll include at the end of the podcast. Once again, the uh, we mentioned the system charge with the site glass. If I have bubbles in the site glass, if my moisture indicator indicates that I have a higher level of moisture in the system, that might be the time to actually open the system, changing the liquid line filter dryer uh, restrictions. And that's when we get into the talking about filter dryers. We have suction line filter dryers, liquid line filter dryers. When we talk about restrictions, we're going to look for a pressure drop across that filter dryer, which is a little, what said invasive. I have to have pressure readings there. You can check for restrictions in that filter dryer just by temperature. You can take, if you have a temperature change across that filter, uh, just with your hands, or you check it with that uh, to get more you know, accurate. Obviously, you'll be using a thermometer. You could take that temperature change back to a PT chart and determine that pressure drop. And if I start having pressure drops in the system, that's going to result in the overall system performance as well. Some things we're throwing out there on, on the liquid line filter dryer. I had marked here that Emerson recommended across the liquid line filter dryer, no greater than a two pound drop. But the actual pressure is going to be measured with a gauge. But if you took temperatures and determined that you had a two pound drop uh, using your PT chart across that filter dryer, we would recommend it be changed. On the suction filter dryers, are typically you don't see a lot of these, especially on smaller system, residential systems, but on commercial systems, you will see suction dryers. We recommend the pressure drop there be no greater than 
one to two pounds for a refrigeration application and air conditioning three to eight pounds across that suction line, filter dryer. Um, any drop, any pressure drop in the suction line is going to result in your system performance. When you lose suction pressure, you take major hits in capacity and refrigeration applications especially is where that gets noticed. That box temperature starts to creep up and you know that's where people start to notice very quickly and we're in an air conditioning application you know you're typically using room air temp so you might not notice that quite quickly but suction line pressure drops are a big no-no in, in any system. Some other things I looked at is uh, system control settings. Is you, if you're using any type of thermostat, is that bringing the compressor on and shutting it off where, you, where it did before? If you're using pressure controls, pump the system down on the low side, does it shut off where the pressure control was originally set? Does it go too low? Does it go too high? Does it short cycle? These are things you can do on your on your preventive maintenance, just making sure it did when you first That's set it. That's a really good point, is that we'll run into where folks will say, yes, it does pump down, and, and shuts off. But they don't know where. But they don't know where. And it's always good to verify yeah. that because it depends a lot on where is that pressure being taken. Yeah. If you're running that compressor so low into, into a vacuum before you shut it off every time, it's damaging the compressor every time it does that. So that's a low pressure control setting. A great, once again, a great job for a new guy is to set a pressure control. You know, that we talk to people and I've seen it in uh, judging the skills competition that we've been involved with. Oh, that's fun. That, yeah, these, you know, that might be their task for the for the, the competition is to set and determine the low pressure control setting. There's guys that don't do it. If you're an air conditioning guy, it's not something you run into, let's face it. But I mean, those are things, all great checks and they're non-invasive. You don't have to do much to assist them to make sure it cycles correctly. Looking at, you know, frost on a, on a line or frost on a dryer that goes back to restrictions that we were talking about in the line. Uh, other visual checks in, in any kind of electrical box or control panel. Look for burn marks, hot spots like, hey, did something overheat in this box or, you know, is something, is there a situation where I might have a bad connection or I'm seeing arcing or, or flashing like that? Um, all good stuff. Where on, kind of, you know, I'll call them the more fragile components of the system, capillary tubes, refrigerant lines that are smaller and, and thinner that might have vibration or fatigue. Vibration eliminators. Have you ever seen those? They're in a the line and they're like a meshed, uh, almost like a woven copper. I mean, I've seen those fray over time and that could cause uh, issues with your eyes. You can check that. What type of application would those be in? That would probably be in transport or light commercial, large commercial applications. I don't, I haven't personally seen one in residential, but I'm sure. No, I've, I've heard of the matted. There's something like if you have a, a noise issue that's caused by the, the tubing, mm -hmm. the compressor vibrating, uh, or, you know, sometimes, you know, the way the compressor, the unit or compressors installed can create tubing issues and applications where you can have this crazy noise in your house by refrigerant line rubbing up against one of your floor studs joists. in the wall, yeah. wall or floor joists. Or, so those can be used to kind of you know, eliminate vibration or actually shift the frequency to one that's not objectionable for somebody. So, Interesting. Because yeah. I've heard of them using like sound blankets and things like that mm -hmm. over the compressor. I did not realize there was another option yeah. that they sound could. Sound blankets are usually, I mean, I worked, I got a chance to work in sound vibration for a number of years and it's work for the compressor noise. But 
a lot of the issues that you see in residential air conditioning are not just the compressor, it's, it's <laughs> transmission. So if somebody had to manipulate the refrigerant lines in that unit or in the home to make them come together or, you know, uh, they can, what we used to call load the compressor, where it's actually, instead of resting on four feet, nice and easy, it's tilted to one side. Oh. That tube could be touching something in the cabinet and all these are, they're kind of complicated issues, but they're solved with usually something like, you know, a, a, a vibrosorber mm -hmm. or adding mass to the line or huh. making sure there's no contact. So they're, they're complex problems that are usually fixed with something fairly simple. Right? Yeah. And, uh, so when we started off on this topic to reiterate, one of the big questions is how long does a compressor last? And you just went through a lot of different variables on system checks, system design, various things you can do on mm -hmm. preventive maintenance to extend the life of that compressor. I think number one was your point was how well was it installed? Mm -hmm. Is it applied right? And everything was done as well as could be expected to make sure that the system's installed correctly. And then another good point was the variables that affect the life of the compressor, such as airflow over heat exchangers. Those are two huge factors in how long a compressor can last. One day out of warranty is all we ask. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, we, we take calls on the compressors. We're amazed at how old they are. A lot of these are, in fact, in systems that receive regular preventive maintenance. Military applications, stationary engineers who own that equipment, they work with exclusively that equipment. They know where it runs. If something's working wrong, they know it. Supermarket rack technicians, once again, the kind of the cream of the crop in our industry, in my opinion, these are all opinions, but they know their equipment. And if that's part of their strength is they know where these systems run and they know when they're not running right because they know what they're supposed to do. So, and a lot of guys we're talking to are calling us because they're out on a job. They don't have this information. You know, how many times, James, do we hear, hey, I'm, I'm out on this job and it looks like I'm a Frankenstein out here. I got cats and dogs sleeping together out here on this thing. It doesn't, it's not supposed to be that way. You know what I mean? So they, it's just a, a system that has been worked on by many people and no one knows where it's supposed to run. And then we work through it, break it down, find out the compressor, the application, the refrigerant. Those are all the questions. Like usually when somebody calls me with a question, I've got five more. Yeah. yeah. And then we're able to work through stuff when we know what they're working on, what they're working with, how long it's been in service, which sometimes is a long time. Sometimes it's a very short yeah. time. Well, a great question that I've heard James ask people, has this ever worked? <laughs> well, that tells you, but there it is. It's in the install. It's either misapplied, they've got the wrong equipment, or when the guy put this in, it wasn't put in incorrectly. So that answers a bunch of questions with one. Yeah. Has yeah. it ever worked? Well, let's look in, let's look, let's go back to the way it's installed and see if it was done right there. Yeah, and on compressor replacements, what happened to the compressor that you needed to replace it? That's usually a question that I like to ask because the compressor was bad. So we put another one in and it's doing the same thing the last one was doing. So then we start to really focus in on the original problem mm -hmm. for the no cooling call. And that's when we start going into breaking down the, the issue and trying right. to get to the bottom of it. And sometimes it's obvious and, and sometimes it's, it's not as obvious mm -hmm. and it can be challenging, but you know, we've, uh, we've, 
do this every day. So hopefully we learn a lot from you guys out there doing this every day. So we do as much as we can to help you, but we also learn a lot from oh, what you guys are doing out there. That's part of the, this job is the learning. But So before I give out some of these documents we were speaking on early, you know, preventive maintenance, yeah, it's a good thing. It's kind of an open-ended, how often you do it, answer, I would recommend, you know, seasonally. You know, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the calls we get when the weather turns warm is high temperatures, trips, high pressure trips. If you go out there before and do some preventive maintenance on those, you know, clean those condensers and, and filters before cooling season gets kicked in, you might eliminate some of those service calls and calls to the service line. So there's a good uh, recommendation on when to plan these, you know, before you're too busy to get out on preventive maintenance calls. So what, as far as documents, once again, we're going to suggest A24-1105 is the principles of cleaning refrigeration systems. When I say refrigeration systems, I mean air conditioning as well. I mean, it's all a form yeah. of refrigeration. So that really focuses in on burn, cleaning up after a burnout, but it does uh, have some good information for maintenance as well. The bulletin that I'm reading from today is AE-105. It's one of the original... Copeland uh, Application Engineering Bulletins, pages 85 through 88 of that are what kind of focuses in on preventive maintenance. Uh, we also have uh, some system checklists that we use in service engineering when we're trying to troubleshoot. Now, these are pretty thorough checklists, so I wouldn't think everything on some of our system checklists would have to be checked for a, just a preventive maintenance call, but it would at least have some place to document the system information. And a good reference document Absolutely. in yeah. general. What I like to say is, you know, when I send a checklist to somebody to, to fill out and send back to us so we can look at it and maybe help them, a lot of the times, by the time a tech has taken the time to complete the checklist, they have the problem solved. <laughs> they know what it is. Yeah, well, it's all in front of you. You know, when you're looking at a system running, your condenser's remote, your, your evaporator's downstairs, your, your unit's upstairs. So you're not seeing everything real time uh, you know? together. And by the time you get to these different parts of the system to collect this information, your condition has changed. So having it all written down in front of you is, is a, an awesome tool. And I, I believe that some some service companies have their own. I'm sure they do. However, yeah. if they would be interested in having the one that, that we use on a regular basis, I'm sure the local wholesalers would have this. However, if you would like a copy of it, you are welcome to Email us at coldchain.technicalservices at emerson.com. <laughs> <Somebody. laughs> to send you a copy of this very comprehensive checklist. James wants to talk helpful. to you. Yeah, he's gonna he's practicing for his climb of the corporate ladder here, I can tell. <laughs> That's your it's an interesting strategy, but come on, man. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, well, thanks, guys. I appreciate all the information that you provided today. This was a great topic. It is a good Thank topic. You. It is. And just so everybody knows about the tech number being changed, just keep in mind that the 937-498-3926 is still active, but it will be soon changed to 833-409-7505. And if you need some assistance, we'll be happy to help you. Give us a call. Yep. Awesome. And some questions too. If there's something, there's a question on something we, we mentioned uh, during our 
blabbering on here. We'd be glad to try to clear it up for you, provide you any supporting information we have. Yeah, that's a good point. Listeners, as always, you can send us comments. If there are topics that you want to hear us talk about on the podcast, please put those in the comments too. We're happy to take suggestions. We want to talk about what you want to know about. So just put those in the comments. Before we end the show, we need a question of the week. Question of the week is, we are interested in finding out what is the oldest Copeland compressor that you are working with that is still in service. Currently in service. Currently in service. And that, once again, we in a, we mentioned in a previous podcast that that can be determined by the compressor serial number. We'll start with the year of manufacturing. So this year would be a 2-0. Uh, January would be A. If you would send us a picture to verify the nameplate of the compressor, once again, the oldest in service Copeland compressor that you work with. And the oldest one will receive one of our fantastic prizes. Yeah, one of our our genuine Copeland t-shirts. I think John's wearing his Copeland t-shirt right now. The price was right. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, awesome. Well, thank you guys again. And as always, listeners, you can find this at ac-heatingconnect.com. Follow us at Copeland Scroll on Facebook and Twitter. We look to... uh, seeing your submissions for the question of the week.